Good to have you with us. My name is Alan, and before I jump in, I want to uh, celebrate with you that this is Outreach Sunday, a time where, uh, as has already been mentioned, that all of our giving this Sunday goes towards our, our ways that we are making a difference here in Phoenix and uh, around the world. Uh, last week, I was not here because I had the privilege of joining a group of 36 people going to Rocky Point to build these homes. It's an insulated home that's about 20 feet by 20 feet, a little bit wider than this stage, and then uh, a square this size for families who have only known little wooden shacks that they have built in the heat of the desert, trying to endure summers through the heat of the desert in these little shacks. And uh, so these homes, they cost about $6,000 in order to build, which is the financial equivalent for them of about a half a million dollar home uh, in, in terms of, you know, in Phoenix here. So this is a significant opportunity for them, a generational change uh, for them. And it's not just a handout. These families, they have to buy their own land. So they have to save up the money to get the land in order to build a house. And they have to serve at least 400 hours with the One Mission organization, helping and serving other people as a part of that journey so that they can be on the list to possibly get one of these homes. It's just a great great plan, a great program. I'm sharing this with you because it is a great example of how we as a church are making a difference beyond Phoenix. And it's an honor to do that with you. Uh, This is an example of how your generosity literally leads to joy, generational joy, and uh, and the opportunities that come for this family and their kids, etc. So uh, very excited about that. You saw some of the photos up there, some of the things that that we do together as a church. So uh, would you bow your heads with me as we head into the message today? Father, we pause here this morning and uh, we're thankful to be in in your presence, thankful that we are invited to uh, make a difference here in Phoenix and around the world. Father, this morning we pray for the Rodriguez Rodriguez family and the Dominguez uh, Cordova family. Father, we pray that as they are now within a couple months of getting into these new homes, um, Father, we pray that they would experience the joy of your presence in their lives, that they would get an overwhelming sense of how much you love them as much as you love us. So God, here in this room now, I pray that you would help us to focus. We brought a lot into this room. God, that we would be able to just set that aside and hear from you that our hearts would be touched, and our minds would be challenged by who you are and what you're doing in our lives, we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. On Easter a couple weeks ago, I started a new series called The Freedom of Jesus, and I made it clear that this is a buy one, get four deal. It's a very special deal we're offering this year, that it's not just one Easter message, and if you are back for week two and now week three of this, we are so thankful that you're here. Welcome. Very much glad that, that you are here, and as we walk out this journey of the freedom of Jesus, we want to do it in four pieces. Really, it kind of deserves to be unpacked. What we did, what we started with week one is we looked at, okay, freedom from what? We have to start with, what is the freedom uh, from? Is freedom from what? So we started with, with the problem, identifying that the problem is control. We all want it, and we can't have it. We want control over our emotions We want control over our circumstances. We want control over our relationships, over our future. 
We want control over the decisions that we make so that we can live good lives and be the men and women that we want to be. But in the words of Paul in Romans chapter 7, what I want to do, I don't do. What I hate, I find myself doing. These words that so many of us can relate to. The problem is control. We want it and we can't have it. And the solution is Jesus. That's what Jan talked about last week. The solution is Jesus. And, and it's not just that we take our lives as they exist and we add a little bit of Jesus to it. It's not just that we take our lives and say, hey, here's a good self-help book. Hey, here's a good gym where you can work out and take care of some physical you know, things that would make you better. And then, oh, you can add Jesus to it and kind of get, get the whole picture. That what, we, what Jan talked about last week was this, there's this guy named Nicodemus who talked with Jesus in John chapter 3 about what it means to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what, you got to just clear the whole table. That it's, if you want to follow Jesus, it's about being born again which means that we surrender everything, every area of our lives, not just the parts that we want to. It's about having a clean slate and surrendering the whole thing. As babies, we come in and we say, we've got to start fresh on this whole deal. The problem is control. The solution is Jesus. And today, we're talking about the result. And the result is the great news, okay? Today, this is the good news stuff. Today, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you to change anything. I'm not, ask, I'm not challenging you in any way. What I'm saying here for you today is that you would be aware of and acknowledge the beauty of the result for those who choose to follow Jesus. This is, this is the great news here today. See, weeks one and two, that's theology. Weeks one and two is, you know, what is the problem? What is the solution? Let's unpack what this all looks like. Who, who is God? Uh, um, how does this whole thing work? Why did God come down in the form of Jesus? Uh, who is Jesus? All of that. That's all very important stuff. It is important stuff to dig into this. Theology is good. It has its place. We need to kind of unpack this a little bit. But theology doesn't matter if it doesn't affect our lives. Theology doesn't matter unless there is a tangible result in terms of how we live and how we treat people. So today the good news is we're talking about the result, what happens inside us when we choose to believe that the problem is control and the solution is Jesus. To help us understand this result today, I want to take a look at one of my favorite stories of Jesus. This is one of my favorite stories. It's found in uh, the book of John chapter 9. If you have your Bible with you or have an electronic Bible, please open it up to this and you are going to want to read this, read this thing through again later on. This is just a great story. For those of you online, please get yourself a Bible and look at this together with us. John chapter 9. It's the story of a man who was born blind and has a miraculous encounter with Jesus. Now, just so you know, he gets his sight. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, it's a spoiler, spoiler alert. But what we're talking about today is the process of how that happens and that there are four different groups that interact with this story, four different groups of people. The first group are the disciples. And the disciples are the group that Jesus had invited, the young men that Jesus had invited to follow him for a three-year period, the, one, the ones that Jesus poured into. And they saw most of the miracles, heard most of the teachings of Jesus. What an incredible honor that would have been. The disciples are where we start the story in chapter 9, verse 1. 
as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the story is interesting right off the bat because here are the disciples asking Jesus about this blind man who's right in front of them. And they're talking to Jesus in third person about this guy who's right. He's blind, he's not deaf. So he can hear this. It's, it's like medical students, medical interns who are standing over a patient who's awake and, and talking to, the, to the, you know, the resident doctors or whatever and just saying, what's all that green pus? It smells bad. It's just, is that infected? It looks disgusting. How, what are we supposed to do with that? I mean, that's what they're doing with the blind man right in front of him just asking these questions. And their questions are about, okay, Jesus, what, what, what did this guy do? Whose fault was it? How does God handle generational sin? Was this his parents' deal or his deal? How does this all look? The, the disciples are more interested in theology. Again, theology is good. Theology is important. How does this all work? They want to unpack this. The disciples are interested in theology, and they should be. But they miss out on something that we're going to see in just a moment. What happens is Jesus has a conversation with them, a little theological conversation with them, and then Jesus decides to heal the man. Jump down to verse 6. After saying this, Jesus has, has a little conversation with them. He spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. A verse like this is so easy to just, to just kind of read, read too quickly. You might be so familiar with the story. Of course, he spits on the mud. Most of you have made mud at some point in your life. When you're a kid, and, and it's so fun to play with mud, to mix mud, uh, etc. How much liquid do you need in order to make mud? What I'm saying with this is if you're in the desert and you want to create mud, you don't create mud with a little... It's, you know, it's not just like a little drizzle spray of liquid that would create mud. In order to create mud, Jesus would have had a significant amount of liquid to be added to this. <sighs> This is what I like to refer to as the holy loogie. Don't, 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 make the G, don't make Jesus so separate from reality that we can't imagine him going, yep, i got to really make some mud out of this. So the disciples are watching Jesus make the mud, and I'm sure they're back there going, what is he going to do with that? Man, that is, that's pretty gross. What's he gonna, he's picking it up. What's, please don't put it on his face. Please don't. He's, look, he's putting, he just put it on his face. Ooh, I mean, it's just it's a good story. Okay. The second group that we find in this story, first group of the disciples, and then the second group that we find are the neighbors. Jump down to verse 8. The neighbors and those who had formerly seen him uh, begging. So they knew this guy. They knew the background, etc. They asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he, the, the man, said, no, I, I am the man. I know who I am. How then were your eyes open, they asked. So they have these, these questions about the details. And he responds in verse 12. Uh, the, the, the neighbors say, where is this man? Where is this man that you're talking about? Because he, he doesn't know who it is. And he just says, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have all the details. I want to come back to this verse later on. But essentially, the neighbors, they're interested in the details of the situation. They're fascinated. It's not about theology for them. 
It's just about practical details. Well, this is interesting because they're, they, they're chatting. You know, they're your neighbors, and they're interested in gossip and information. And what are the details? Well, I don't know. It's not what I heard. Here's what I heard. And so they're doing this whole story. The neighbors are engaged, but they're more interested in the details. The third group are the Pharisees. Pharisees are the religious folks. They're the professional followers of God. They're they're. Pharisees who believe in all the rules from the Old Testament, plus they added a bunch of rules uh, onto all of that. They, they did not believe that Jesus was God. And um, they got all bent out of shape on this story because it happened on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees were, were really struggling with all of this. Their, their involvement jumps down to verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not, and I was talking about Jesus, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Pharisees are all bent out of shape. They're more interested in the rules, more interested in what, what they're allowed to do on what day and, and not allowed to do on what other day. The final group, there's four groups in the story. The final group is the actual man's parents. The guy's actual parents. Now, surely they are going to acknowledge the result of what happened to their own boy. Surely they are not going to get caught up in some other kind of distraction. Verse, verse 19. The Pharisees say, is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you saw was born blind? How is it that now he can see? The Pharisees want an explanation from the parents. Now, what's really important before you look at their response is to understand that it was incredibly important for a Jewish family to have access to the synagogue. That this was, this was essential for their finances, for their social status, and the ones who controlled who was in the synagogue were the Pharisees. And so they didn't want to say anything wrong or anything that, would, that the Pharisees wouldn't, wouldn't like or they would get kicked out of the synagogue and that would have tremendous implications for them as a family. So they were nervous. They were concerned. You can see their hesitation in their response in verse 20 when they say, we know he is our son, which to me is a hilarious response. They're just, so, they're just so cautious that they're just kind of going, okay, they would look at each other. We know he's our son. That's okay, right? We're so far so good. And then they keep going. The parents answered, and we know he was born blind. Okay, so far so good. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. They totally passed the buck. They totally, they're afraid, and so they in this story are just saying, yeah, I'm, I'm separate, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to get caught saying anything questionable here. They're just saying, all I want is for everyone to just be happy so that, so that me and my wife, we can continue to go to the synagogue and, and, and all that kind of stuff. We got four groups of people here in this story. The disciples are more interested in theology. The neighbors are more interested in the details. The Pharisees are more interested in the rules, and the parents are interested in self-preservation. They just have to take care of themselves. The tragedy of this story is that no one was interested in the result. 
No one in this story said, wow. No one, not even his parents, had, had, a, had a, 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 an overall response of, I know that guy. He was blind his whole life. I've known him for years. And now he can see. It's obvious that he can see. No one was celebrating. That's the tragedy of the story. No one celebrated the result of what Jesus did in this guy's life. And, and you can see the frustration building in the man who uh, received his sight. Jumping back to verse 12, I read this already. The, the neighbors say, uh, where is this man? Where is him? Where, where is this guy who healed you? And, and the blind man says, I don't know. As in, I, I was blind. I don't know where he came from. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know what clothes he was wearing. I don't know which direction he went in. You know why? Because I was blind. And the frustration goes on, verse 15, and the Pharisees are, are saying, you know, how does this happen? How, well, okay, he put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. He's, he's just, he's just kind of, he's going mad here. Uh, verse 25, he finally says, okay, whether he, this guy, you call him Jesus, whatever, whoever this guy was, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Do you understand me? Because I'm sure he's thinking, you guys don't seem to get this yet. All right, let me help you out. Let me, let me help you out. What I want you all to do, in fact, what I want you all to do here in this room, here in this room and any of you online, any of you watching, listening, whatever, what I want you to do is close your eyes. Just close them as tight as you can. Close your eyes. Just, don't, just do it. Just close your eyes. Now, yesterday, this is what I saw. And for my whole life up until this moment, this is what I saw. Okay, now I want you to do something amazing. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. This is what I can see now. Can you see the difference? Do you see? Can you see how this is an amazing thing that happened here? He's, he's saying, I, I don't know. I don't know how it all works. I don't know what direction he came from. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know how, how people say he's the Lord. I don't know how God came down in the flesh in the form of a baby. I don't know how, how this man is, is God, and, and God is God, and yet they're, two, they're separate, and yet they're the same. I don't know how that all works. I, I don't, what I know is that I was blind, and now I see. One of the most powerful things, if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the most powerful things you can say to someone who's interested in your faith is, I don't know. He says it multiple times here in this story. I don't have all of the answers. I don't have all the theological answers. One of the most powerful things we see, because there's, there's sometimes an, an assumption, or there's this, there's an assumption sometimes that people have about Christians or that Christians have about themselves that they got to have all the answers. And one of the most powerful things we can say is, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I can't explain that. I don't know why good things can happen to bad people sometimes. I don't know. I don't know in that tragedy why, why he died and she didn't. I can't explain that. I don't know why I was born here and the Rodriguez Rodriguez family was born in generations of poverty 
in the desert of Mexico. I, I don't know. I can't explain that. What I do know is what the result is in my life. What I do know is, is what it has meant for me to be a follower of Jesus. I, I cannot explain all the theological stuff. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. What I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And this story, John chapter 9, is not a unique standout story. It is a consistent pattern in Jesus' life that he came to bring results in people's lives, physical and emotional and spiritual results, that Jesus did not come to give us information. He did not come to give us answers to all the questions. Jesus came to bring results. He came to bring change. He came to, to bring transformation into the lives of those who choose to believe that there's a problem and that Jesus is the solution, that he came to bring the great news of a result. And this is consistent throughout the Jesus story. When Jesus was, was, was just a rabbi, and I say, I say just, I use, I say quotes because I'm old and I, I haven't learned that you're not supposed to do that anymore. And because Jesus was never just a rabbi. He was never just a rabbi. But I say just a rabbi because uh, that's all they thought he was at the time. That he was not a threat to the Jewish people and he was not a threat to the Romans yet. He was up in Nazareth in, his, in the town that he grew up in. And he was in a synagogue, in a Jewish synagogue, and he was a rabbi. He wasn't the, 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 the top rabbi. He was just sitting as a part of the synagogue experience. And one of the rabbis had asked him, to come and read from, a, from an ancient scroll, from the scroll of Isaiah that had been written hundreds of years prior to that. None of this would have been unique or, or you know, odd at this time. The story is found in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus takes the scroll. It's Isaiah chapter 61. He opens it up and he starts reading, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the cap, the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Rolls it up, sets it aside. Nothing out of the ordinary so far. Until he looks at everyone and says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am he, Jesus said. I've come not just to be a rabbi. I have come to bring results, to bring transformation. I have come to bring good news to the poor. I have come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And we see over and over again in Scripture that this, was, this is what Jesus came for, was for transformation, for, for results in our lives. The problem is control. The solution is Jesus, is surrendering our lives to Jesus. And the result is freedom. The result is freedom. So that we no longer have to keep up with the Joneses. So that we no longer here in this community have to continue to do what, what everyone else tells us we're supposed to do or what's important or what success looks like. The result is freedom so that we can have a completely different conversation 
with the Joneses. That we can, we can say to the Joneses who just bought a new truck, and we can, we can say, wow, that is a nice truck. And we can, we can climb up into the truck and look in and say, is that, is that got a, a, a Hellcat V8 engine in it? That is a monster truck. That is, that is awesome. We can say that to the Joneses and not be jealous and not be burning with envy. We can say to the Joneses, hey, I just want you to know, um, my wife and I, we, we have had, we've had a hard time of it. We've been, we've been really struggling, and, and um, all along we, we were hoping to kind of figure it out, and, and, and then we would just fight and fight. We just couldn't, we we're spiraling, and we couldn't get out of it, but we found out about this, this deal at, at Mountain Park Church on Monday nights. It's this marriage ministry that, that, that they call Reengage. And it, it was a transforming experience for me and my wife. And so, so I, I just wanted to, to tell you about it because I, I hear you guys fighting all the time. And I just thought maybe, you know, you know, we can have a different conversation with the Joneses. We can say to the Joneses, we, okay, I don't mean that last part. But, but we can say to the Joneses, hey, hey, this weekend, can you, can you watch our dog? I know you don't. You don't like our dog that much, but can you just well, can you just come over and take care of our dog? Because we're going this weekend to Rocky Point, and we're going to help build a home for a family that has a, a total income of, of about $100 a month. And so we're going to go down there and see what we can do to help them out. And, and we'd love to tell you about it when we get back. And, uh, and if you ever want to join us, that would be great. We can have a completely different conversation with the Joneses. The result... Of, of acknowledging Jesus as the solution is that, is that we can experience freedom. We can say, I, I, was, I was blind to, to what it meant to experience pure joy. And I was pursuing everything that I possibly could and chasing after the wind in so many different ways. But now I see. The result is freedom. I have, I have heard the concept of freedom in the church for many, many, many years. Heard many messages on it, and, and I've thought about this whole idea of freedom, and we sing about it on a regular basis. We sang a song, I am free indeed. We sing about freedom all the time. I've seen Braveheart multiple times. And so the whole freedom thing, I, 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 the concept I'm very you know, familiar with, thought about it a lot. But, but you've got to ask, freedom from what? What really do you mean? What does freedom look like? For those of us here who are not physically incarcerated, what does emotional and or spiritual freedom look like? And I, I think it can look a number of different ways. And a number of you, maybe you have your own definition or understanding or own personal experience of what that looks like. Here's, here's, what it, here's an example of what it looks like for me. Living a life that is free, for example, means we are no longer afraid of any questions. Any questions from any person. You remember when you were in middle school and the teacher got up and you could tell they were looking for somebody to, to ask a question to and you, had, and you had that terror in your body. You go, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. I'd rather have an F 
than stand up and have to say any question or go up to the board and, dis- and display that I have an F. I'd rather, I'd rather stay in my seat and get an F than go up to the board and get a C, whatever. I, I, just, I just, don't, just don't. And then, and then you're nervous because you're, you're trying to tell your face, don't look nervous. Don't look nervous because then you know the teacher's going to ask you because they're looking for the one who's sweating the most in the room. So I look cool, I'm fine, totally fine, totally fine. Don't pick me, totally fine. And so it's this whole thing. It's this whole living life where you don't want people to ask you questions. That's, a, that's not freedom. When your boss asks for a status on the project and you, you don't want the boss to ask, you want the boss to forget about it, you want you kind of, kind of to slip by. When, when you don't want your parents, maybe now or when you were younger, when you did not want your parents to ask you what you did last night, to ask any more details of who are you with and what did you do, and you don't want them to ask because the more questions they ask, the more they're going to unpack that you don't want them to unpack. That's not freedom. When... Someone asks to use your phone. They want to borrow your phone, and your first thought is, what apps do I have open? And if they take my phone, and they have access to my phone for a minute, what are they going to see that's a part of my phone experience? Or when somebody asks to borrow your computer because they just want to look something up, and you're just looking over the shoulder hoping that they're not going to go into the browser history. That's not freedom. When we... Don't want anyone asking us questions about our habits, about our thought life, about our spiritual disciplines, about how we're doing with Bible reading or prayer or whatever's going on in our, in our lives. If we don't want people to ask questions, that's not freedom. That means we haven't experienced the result that, that surrendering our lives to Jesus offers. Now, I'm not saying that, that the answers to all those questions is, is great, is perfect, I'm not saying that the answer to all of those situations is something, is something is, you know, that we're always going to be proud of. It means that we're not afraid of any question. You can ask any question. You can ask me any question. You want to live a life of freedom, just ask any question. And the answer might be, hey, you know what? That's actually an area I'm struggling with. I'm still working on that area. But freedom means we are not afraid of any question. The problem is control. We want control over what people ask and what they don't ask, what people know and what they don't know, and we can't have it. The solution is Jesus. It's, it's saying that, we, that we, we have to be born again, is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We have to wipe the table clean and say everything, everything goes up on the table. Everything. There's nothing outside of this journey now. I surrender every part of my life to Jesus. And then the result is freedom. The result is that we're not, we're not afraid of what anyone asks, what anyone pursued, what everyone looks at, what, whatever. The result is we just live out our lives saying, I'm, I'm, I'm living a life of freedom. Or as the old song goes, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Jesus came to bring results. That is the good news. The result is the great news. The disciples missed it. The neighbors missed it. The Pharisees, of course, missed it. They missed a lot of stuff. But even the parents missed it. My hope for you and for me as we explore all of this is that we don't miss the joy of the results that Jesus comes comes to give.
that we won't miss the opportunity to celebrate what Jesus is doing in our lives. Theology is great. Theology is important. Parts, steps one and two, the problem, the solution, all of that stuff is important to think about and understand, but it means nothing if it doesn't affect the way we live our lives, the way we interact with people, the way we treat people. Do you want to be the kind of person who says, me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a crazy Christian who uses quotes and everything. But I'm a, I'm a Christian. I go, I go to church. I go, not, not, not all the time, but yeah, it's good. It's good. Or do you want to be the kind of person who says, I can see. I can see. I had no idea what the clouds look like. People tried to describe them to me, and now that I can see them, I had no idea they, they looked like that. I had no idea that the ocean was that large. That it was huge. I could hear the waves. I've heard them my whole life. I had no idea that it went on forever. No idea. Absolutely no concept of that. I had no idea that both of my parents have huge noses. I, didn't, I just didn't know that. I've, I, 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 I was told that, hey, you got parents with big noses. I didn't know that. I never, until I actually saw it. I, I can see now. I'm free. I'm a different person because I had an encounter with Jesus. The result is the best part. This is the part we celebrate. Don't miss it like all four groups did. We're going to close with one final song here today. It's just a celebration song. And it's just going to be short and we're just going to party a little bit. And I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray with you. And then let's, let's not miss the celebration a little bit. That, that Jesus is the solution to the problem. Would you pray with me? Father, I love this story. God, I love that, that you came and saw a man who was in need and you healed him. And that that isn't just one story and, and, and that, that billions and billions of others just get to read about, but that that's what you want to do in each and every one of our lives. You want to take our own blindness and give us sight. That you, you don't just want us to understand stuff. You want us to experience the results of who you are. So God, we, we, we celebrate that now. For those of us who have experienced that, we celebrate what you've done in our lives. For those of us who have not yet experienced that, God, would you give us a glimpse of what it might look like to enjoy the results of surrendering our lives to you. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.